Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Violence is rarely the answer. But when it is, it's the only answer. Welcome to Urban Combatives and Survival Training Podcast. In this podcast, we speak with leading experts in the field of life and death self-defense. Our goal is to arm you with the knowledge on the skills needed to survive a life-threatening event. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, my voice is still trying to recover from this thing. But today we have a great guest, Anthony Cummins. He's an author historian who concentrates on medieval Japanese warfare and the founder of the Historical Ninjutsu Research Team, a team dedicated to the translation and publication of historical shinobi manuals into the English language. If you're not familiar with shinobi or ninjutsu, you're probably wondering, what are we talking about today? Well, one of the things I like about the author is the mindset is exactly what this show is always about. And his goal is to bring together the greatest amount of reference material on the ninja and to help form a correct image of the truth behind the Japanese samurai warfare. So our philosophy as well is always to show you the truth, at least to try to dispel the myths that are out there and the misleading information. Sometimes it happens with certain historical accounts and we're trying to clear that up. So hopefully today we're going to find out a lot of great stuff about the ninja. So he's written a lot of books on the ninja. I've mentioned some of them, the book of ninja, the, I can't even know if I can say it, Bansan Shukai, Japanese, Japan's premier ninja manual. And then the ninja skills, the authentic ninja training manual. He's got another one called the book of Bushido. The Complete Guide to Real Samurai Chivalry. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that. I forgot to mention that to him, but I've always been fascinated about the Bushido. And I think it's something that's lost in today's world. The Ultimate Art of War is another great book, a step-by-step illustrated guide to Sun Tzu's teachings, which I actually have as well. And it's a very good book. The Ultimate I Ching book, an illustrated step-by-step guide. But we're going to be here all day if we read all his books. But you can look them up, Anthony <laughs> Cummins, A-N-T-O-N-Y-C-U-M-M-I-N-S. Before we get started, you know what to do, folks. Share, subscribe, hit that like button. You know we like it. And let's not waste any more time. Welcome to the show, Mr. Anthony Cummins. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, for being here. You know, um, I just looked at when I was perusing your books, I said, oh, wait a minute. I look with uh, Bushido. That's right. But let's start off a little bit with the history of the ninja. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. So the first thing that's the main issue is when we say ninja and ninjutsu, everybody thinks it's hand hand fighting that was created, you know, in the, by a specific organization. And it was, you know, hundreds of years old well that just isn't true it just isn't true so i um i've been on like a 15 year quest now find out what is the truth of the ninja and um i basically went and found as many documents as i could i they're clearly too difficult to read my japanese is not that good but it was a case of i put together a small team of people who could read it i was like right let's you know what what does the history actually say? And it became very obvious very quickly that most of, if not all, Japanese books on the ninja were wrong. Absolutely all of the history books in English are totally wrong. And <laughs> it was just uh, ridiculous. You know, we, we lived on this, um, this myth of the ninja as opposed to what they were. So very, very briefly, the sh- they're called ninja, but the Japanese way of pronouncing it correctly is shinobi no mono. It's the same name. If you look at it, it's the same two kanji, ideograms. But it's just, you can always say Japanese things two, three, four different ways, depending. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you'd, the same kanji, you've got, you've got to read sometimes seven different ways to say it. It's like, oh my God. Oh, <laughs> oh, Shinobi and Ninja, exactly the same thing. They pop into existence or they first pop in to uh, the historical record in the year, roughly 1375, roughly. They then disappear for a hundred or two years, but then start surfacing again about 1550s and then all the way up to the end of the samurai period, which is 1868. And they are always, always connected with espionage, sabotage, political intrigue, uh, you know, um, infiltration, cloak and dagger, sneaky beaky stuff. Sneaky beakies. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because they, they remind me when I started reading your book, it reminded me a lot of the CIA. 
yes. or MI6. And I'm looking at going, these guys are not what I thought they were. <laughs> I mean, Everybody thinks they are some sort of like, you know, cult of assassins going around backflips and all that. So all total nonsense. Do they do that at all though? So, right. This is a big debate. This do ninjas assassin, right? Are they assassins? This is really difficult because of the English word assassin. So, if I kill someone for a political game, I am an assassin. Yep. But it doesn't mean I'm a highly trained assassin from birth who's been studying all his life. I've just got a political goal. So, yes, they were, in essence, assassins if they chose to kill people. But there wasn't any sort of ninja training camp where they, you know, they learned all these different techniques to specifically assassinate people. It was simply a byproduct of the fact that they normally infiltrated the enemy ranks, lived within the enemy ranks. And if they could, and if it turned up, because samurai laws are extremely well protected, you know, everybody's tasting their food. You have no weapons. You know, you know you're not allowed near them. You've got two meters away and all this. But it says if you absolutely get the, the you know, the chance, you can kill them. And uh, one way they did that was if they finally, finally build up enough um, relationship with the samurai lord and they, they're deemed to be good, they get within the few meters of him. They're totally stripped of any weapons. They reach for the Lord's short sword and kill him with his own sword. And then, of course, they are killed on the spot. So, yeah, the thing about this trained assassin thing, they'd all be dead because you just don't, you know. <laughs> Even if you go back to the ancient Chinese classics on assassination, they say most lords are absolutely well protected. You don't get anywhere near them. So what happens normally is you bribe people. So there's an old teaching where it says... If you bribe the person who makes the bed of the Lord and what you do is you just put a threatening message underneath his pillow and you pay them like loads of money to do that. And they're not killing him. They're just leaving a threatening message. The Lord then thinks uh, an assassin can get into his bedroom at any time. But they didn't. It was just the guy they paid to put the threat there. Oh, so it was more yeah. about the propaganda. Yeah, and the sort of psychological, oh, my God, you know, they're infiltrating, change everything, move location, you know, set up a new guard, and you can start messing with the enemy's mind that way. You know, so now it really sounds, it sounds like the CIA and, and the black propaganda and stuff like that. <laughs> People go for ninja, and they're absolutely saying, oh, ninja, this ninja. But actually, the CIA, the SAS, MI5, MI6, it is the best way to translate ninja now is uh, infiltrator commando or commando spy. So it's someone who does both. SAS, Navy SEALs, and MI5, MI6, you know, um, CIA stuff mixed in together. But of course, the word shinobi is an umbrella term, which you do get different types. So you get a linguist specialist. He's amazing at languages. He's not going to climb a wall anywhere, you know, or jump in with a, a, you know, a sword. But he'll be out there in the other, pro behind enemy lines, saying things. And if you get something slightly wrong, you know he's not from there. And what you're doing, you're not from here. So I don't know, where are you at the minute? You're in America? Yes, sir, California. Yeah, California. So it's like someone with, I don't know, let's say a really strong, what's a really strong American accent? Oh, boy. Texan. Probably Boston, Texas, the South. Yeah, yeah. something like someone that. Someone from Texas with his really strong, with all the local dialect and all the horsemanship stuff, trying to get his way on a Californian beach without standing out. And the simple, <laughs> you know, simple slip of a word could have him killed. Oh, wow. So they could pick that up pretty quickly from the ninjas. Yeah, yeah. so that's what ninjas would do. Let me ask you this then. Um, now it takes me to the world of ninjutsu. I guess that's how you say it. Um, yes. Well, actually, no, you correctly say shinobi no jutsu. But oh, shinobi the world no says it in jutsu, yes. Yeah. <laughs> shinobi no jutsu. Um that's interesting because I was, I don't know, I can't remember, if, I apologize, I can't remember if I was reading in your book or something else. It surprised me because, I don't know if you watch MMA fighting at all or not. I'm, I'm aware <laughs> of it, I don't watch loads. The reason being is because MMA has evolved into a hybrid of all different styles and they pick whatever uh, helps them succeed in that <laughs> arena. But when I was reading about the Shinobi no Jitsu, it seemed like they were doing the same thing. They were grabbing the best of different styles from what I was reading. I don't know if you ever encountered that or not. Do you mean physical hand-to-hand -hand combat? Yeah, they were grabbing things from like striking from a particular type of, uh, of discipline. Then they were grab grappling from another right, one. Okay. Grab this. You've definitely, definitely not read that in my work. That is okay. not true. 
That is not true. Okay. No, God, it's not true. Internet nonsense again. See? Yeah, internet (laughs) nonsense. To be honest, I don't blame the people who wrote it because it all came out of Japan, to be honest. All the mistakes came out of Japan. So uh, are you aware of the Bujinkan? And Stephen Hayes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stephen K. Hayes, yeah. Yeah. So basically, Stephen K. Hayes went over to America um, in the early 70s and he learned with uh, Master, you know, the ninja and everything. Hatsumi, that's so that's the Bujinkan, yeah. So they they learned with Hatsumi, but um, and I, and I too, I was in the Bujinkan, we all learned, you know, you did this, but it turns out it was totally made up by his master, the Takamatsu, and there is no such thing of a hand to hand combat by the ninja, it was sort of just made up, and he made a lot of money out of it, you know, Hatsumi did, and it so it just sort of snowballed from this small group who sort of made some up to like worldwide and they can't go back on it you know it's like oh my oh, god man. what do we do now you know <laughs> the entire world is like you know looking at us so no it's um it's well known in japan for not being historically accurate or correct you know you know japan's a difficult place because you can have things that are historically inaccurate and no one will call them on it they just think it's interesting fun role play and that's okay for people to do you know they don't mind you know, nobody's doing anything. Like, they actually have a ninja museum in Japan, in Iga, where the ninja are from, and it's the worst. So the the word museum should not be put on it. You know, it's a private collection of stuff that's totally historically inaccurate put together by some guy. And, you know, that's it now. It's like people from all over the world think, oh, it's the Japanese official ninja museum. Like, no, it's a private institute that just made stuff up and will, you know do it for you so what the thing is is right so to start from the thing is ninja i'm gonna stop you for one second we'll get back to that if you don't i don't know how familiar you are with the chinese but it's so funny because i just watched ip men yep the the series and when i read the real story it blew me away how about 85 percent of what's inaccurate in the movie (laughs) so i'm thinking is it maybe it's both cultures do the same thing? Because I, I guess it's fine. You can do whatever you want, but wow, <laughs> nothing yeah. was accurate. Well, that's what MMA has done, hasn't it? It stripped away the mythology behind everything. You know, you're allowed to make things up because nobody was challenged. You know, oh. and now it's like every MMA, and I'm not a massive fan of MMA. I'm going to be honest with you, because that's the okay. stuff I've been, I've what I've done is so. If you put an MMA fighter, right, let's get, let's be honest, MMA fighters are rough, hard lads. They're going to go beat you up, no problem. But you put them in the world of the samurai, they're dead very quickly. If you start doing anything like that, you know, we're talking about, so if there's, so what the samurai did is if there's a powerful man that they can't corner and he's a big lad, yeah, and don't forget every, every single samurai, no, every single fight in Japan is a fight with a knife. Because every single person in Japan is allowed to carry a dagger for protection, even the peasants. Really? Before fifteen fifth before fifteen eighty. So think of it this way: the samurai started in what year one thousand roughly, and they finished in the year um, eighteen sixty eight. For about fifty percent of the time, everybody had a sword. It wasn't illegal, and loads of people had them. So if you started rolling on the ground, about three lads would come up and just knife you to death straight away. <laughs> and, and what is well known in Japan is like one of the earliest travelers from England who went to Japan in the year sixteen hundred. They said if there's a criminal or a dead body or somebody dies, everybody gets their swords out and starts testing them on the bodies. So a corpse is in the street. Like Aunt Bessie runs out, you know, <laughs> Uncle Joe, and they've just got a katana and they're smashing it all, you know, like kids cutting up these bodies, <laughs> cut them up and string them up, and that, that's normal people in the street to test the sharpener for their swords. So, this, this, the same the only way I could do it is imagine an MMA fighter trying to disguise himself as somebody in South America, getting into a cartel's house, pretending to be in there, and then grappling someone on the floor. You know what I mean? You'd have your head chainsawed off within about five minutes. So that's why when people say ninjas hand hand comp, you're like, it's so far away from that. It's um, not. But hey. it's a 20th, 20th century legend, and it's just not going away. And by the way, folks, I have I don't want to disrespect the movie Ip Man. I thought was, the series with Donnie Yen was fabulous. It was really a great... Oh, Donnie Yen's excellent, isn't it? Donnie yeah. Yen is excellent. What yeah, amazing. but it's the same as Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's obviously like it's meant to be magical, but it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It really is. It's like I don't want to say Lord of the Rings. It isn't that far off, but it was still yeah. really fun to watch. I mean, great storylines. Um, yeah. Back to this, I guess. So, did they know how to fight? Then did the ninjas know how to oh, fight? 
That is the first question everybody asks. They say, well, they don't fight, what do they do? So this is the thing that you have to understand. They sit in Japanese society. So imagine Japanese society is based on a military society. 10% of the population rule 90%, just like the Spartans did. They absolutely rule all the people. You know, like Knights of England, you, you've got, that's the law, that's the order, the samurai at the top. Inside of that 10%, you've got the lords at the very top, and at the very bottom, you've got the foot soldiers who are like, you know, probably gambling and drinking, but their job is to fight. So inside of that 10% of all the different social strategy, you know, um, strata, there's actually one job in there, which is spy commander, which is Shinobi no Mono. So when your army goes out, they're with the samurai army, they're doing samurai stuff, they are samurai, or at least military men, you know what I mean? And then they absolutely know how to fight. They do kenjutsu swordsmanship, they do grappling, they can, you know, dagger fighting, they use spears, archery, explosives, poisons, all of that is there. Mm. And then they add on to that ninjutsu, which is the espionage creeping in, breaking through walls, listening, codes, translation, all that. Oh, fascinating. Now, I guess I'll have to ask you, I mean, you're, you're the one who studied this. There are some schools, you mentioned already one name, that go yep. around saying that there's a special martial art from the ninjas. And they'll call it, usually they call it ninjutsu here, or there's some other names for it. So is that... Is there such a thing? Because I know you wrote a book on the skills. So is there like a manual or curriculum that they did learn in regards to fighting? Not in, no, not in, no, not fighting. No, absolutely not. So that is my okay. biggest thing I have to change for people. So when they say, you're ninjas, what did they uh -huh. use to fight? They use something called taijutsu or jujutsu. So remember, mm -hmm. so everybody talks about Brazilian jujitsu, which really annoys me because it's not Brazilian. It's from Japan. <laughs> it was just, so if people out there love Brazilian jujitsu, there's um, Japan changed after world war ii so actually martial arts were absolutely outlawed after world war ii and i think it was by MacArthur he outlawed them and it took about 10 years or maybe seven years for them to be brought back and when they were brought back they were made totally different and the aikido comes into it chi and lovely we are not because don't forget the japanese were torturing and murdering people making them construct you know bridge over the river kwai they were like the idea of the samurai in like the second half of the 20th century was absolutely horrific. So they made it very easy and very nice. But the, the Japanese immigrants who went to Brazil before the 1940s war still had the original, let's smash them, crash on the head, choke them out. You know, it was <laughs> so the Japanese jiu-jitsu in Brazil was pre-World War II. And after that, it just got silly and they got all, you know, you know, it's like that, that's not going to work anywhere, mate. You're not going to win a fight with that. It's interesting because I was reading a book on the history of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I can't remember now the name of the, the Japanese man who... Yep. Shoot, it was a Japanese guy who worked with um, the Gracies. Yep, and yeah. he was an immigrant from Japan, and I think he ended up in Brazil, wasn't he? And he was a hard place. He was a hard man. It's pre-war. You know, they were... So this idea, like, I bet you, if you look at MMA fighting, if you go to the martial arts schools of Japan in the late 1800s, that they're doing that type of thing, grappling, lots of heavy-duty guys, you know, pulling it and the samurai i've got one of my manuals we translated it says never try to beat anyone who's stronger than you you just stab them it says it openly says don't try all these technical moves you get your mates and you go and kill him well it's efficient yeah. <laughs> i think they were about efficiency but, you know, and and that's what they're saying like there's a so one of the samurai ta tactics is have a kill squad so what you do is um mm. when you take three of you and if there's someone who's so let's say You've had Bash Rutan on the show, have you, is it? Oh, yeah, Bash Rutan, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's say I want to kill Bash, yeah? There's no way I'm going to do it. I'm going to leap at him, and he's going to just pound me head off the ground. So what I do is I go and I confront him. Somebody else goes to the around the area so none of his mates can come in, and then the third one comes behind and slits his throat. Yeah, and that's, that's how samurai... <laughs> yeah, and that's how samurai deal with um, hard men. Or the other one is if a hard man is somewhere... Like in a building, they can't get them out. They just boil water. So you'd imagine boiling your kettle and you put roasting water and you all just run in and throw it on the face. And then while they're burning on the floor, you just all stab them. So basically, it was really just about the victory. No matter how you got it, you just got to get it. And yeah, but you also had to pretend. Well, it is. But then the real hard guys who became what's called Ichiban Yari, number one spear, were the ones who were like, don't help me, lads. I've got this. Oh, you know, all those, like, like, you know, your superstars, you're like, your MMA superstars are like, 
right, stand back, I'll get him. And then it's a case of, you know, but the problem is if you didn't get it right and you didn't win, you were dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Lee got away with a lot of that, but um, let me ask you this. I got about four questions. I want to make sure I get yep. these in. They're not going to, I'm trying to keep them in some kind of order. <laughs> so oh, forgive me, folks. Um, if we bounce around again, this is Anthony Cummins, C-U-M-M-I-N-S. Anthony's A-N-T-O-N-Y is a host of books out there. Ninja Skills, a book of ninja. Yes. I think you'll learn a lot, folks, and you'll, you'll be able you'll probably be surprised on how different your view will be about the ninja and the samurai, actually. Um, one other question uh, in regards to weaponry and fighting, and then I wanted to get into a little bit of um, some of the philosophical aspects of it. Yep. And then we'll get into Hollywood and see which movies you think are the most accurate. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Okay. Um, I was reading it again. I don't know where I got this. <laughs> I can't remember. I read too much and I get lost. Um Somebody had said that they didn't use, um, now I forgot the name of them, the little stars. Oh, shoot again. The shoot con yeah. Uh, was that true? Did they use Right, those? well, this, so this is another thing. So the shuriken and their, so the ninja throwing <laughs> stars are not connected fully to the ninja until about 1950 when there's a, a Japanese anime manga does it. And they're absolutely, they're like 1950s is when his first connection comes. However, there is one tantalizing historical document that says something about Shinobi and something about throwing shuriken. But you have to understand the history of the shuriken first. The first shuriken comes about 15, 1600 that we know of that is identifiable in a manual. And it's swordsmanship. And if you know anything about Japanese swordsmanship, nearly every school has a sword and they always have shuriken or throw like the spikes. Usually it's spikes in the back of their belt because oh. they throw them first and they pull them out. So and it's absolutely like nobody denies anywhere in Japanese history that the samurai sword schools use these shuriken to come in and throw. But at the same time, they say, oh, they're a secret weapon of the ninja that nobody knew but the ninja. And you're like, well. How do both exist? You know, you can't have one secret <laughs> weapon that nobody's ever seen, and yet every samurai on the bloody planet's wearing one. <laughs> you know, which which one is it? And like in Japan, they they don't care about those sort of contradictions. They just let people go on. You know, so it's also okay. You know, so actually, yes, they would have used shuriken at some point, but they also used chopsticks and they used shoes and they used you know mm. bowls. They it's the same if and they use swords. If it's there in the culture, they're going to use it. Oh, okay. So it wasn't anything special to them. No, it wasn't like they just, you know, men. But again, it's actually been debated how realistic the concept of shuriken is because you really don't find it in the historical manuals so much. It, they're, they're like, this comes into one real, some people say they're just distraction weapons, but also I, to those people, I say, stand there and let me throw an iron blade at you and, and see how distracted you are. You know, like <laughs> if I can get it straight into your heart or, you know, at least pierce it through your shoulder, you're probably going to die of septicemia anyway. So, you know, let's not do that. But then, you know, at the same time, they're not like killing weapons. You know, they're not that drastically bad for you. Did you ever read anything that they put poison on them? Um, poison is a difficult one, actually. Yes, we do know that they used poison, but... Not on the shoe found... No, no, not, not that we can find there, no. that Yeah, all mm. that sort of stuff is from films and movies yeah. and everything. Like, they put the shoe... They'd kill themselves before they killed anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Fumble in the dark with poison-edged five-star razors, you know. It would not be good for them. But well, they do comes. like they do use like, you know, if you use spikes in the ground, you want to put like feces on that sort of stuff, very Viet Cong style, you know, oh. death fall traps and that sort of stuff. Interesting. Um, so I guess my next question, the perfect segue into Kung Fu, the TV show. Because this is where I got the uh, Shurikan with the <laughs> poison was from right. there. Um People always like, hey, I do too. Everybody likes to see who's the best of the best. We always want to watch that. And we got the Shaolin monks. We got the ninja. We got the um, samurai. And everybody's trying to figure out who would beat who. Did you, Well, I guess my, it's a two-part question. Did you see anything in, in, in your research about them ever encountering each other, a ninja versus a, right. a Shaolin monk? And two, what do you think the differences really are? Right. Okay, right. For Shaolin Monk, 
Yeah, well, first we'll go off. Have you ever seen any stories where the ninjas or samurais encountered a Shaolin monk? Is there any writings right. about, uh-oh. <laughs> no, so one of the myths that comes out is that the ninjas and the Shaolin monk are connected. They also say, oh, the ninjas connect to what are called the Yamabushi, which are like the monks who go in the mountains and all that. They're not. There's no. They used it as disguise. Now, there is no evidence anywhere that a Shaolin monk actually came over to Japan and did anything. It just doesn't exist. However, what we do have is that uh, we know the Chinese in the 1500s were coming to Japan and the Japanese were going to China. And what we definitely know is that there's even villages, and I've been to one of these villages in um, Thailand where some of Japanese samurai actually settled. They used to fight in Southeast Asia all the time. So there is definitely, and the Japanese invaded Korea in 1596. Now, if you don't know anything about sort of Japanese history, the year 600 is a big divider. After the year, sorry, 1600, after the year 1600, the samurai are isolated, they're getting weak, they're getting a bit, you know, a bit watery and it's not really happening. You know, it's still a dangerous society, but it's, it's very, it's like Nazi Germany has won and they're just under control. That's it. Mm. But before that is the civil wars of Japan. And they were, it was a massacre. It was a slaughter. Like there was killing millions of people, you know, throughout sort of like history for a couple of hundred years. And they also invaded Korea and they were slaughtered in the Chinese army to fight back so we know they took ninja with them we know they were fighting in korea we know that uh, the chinese were fighting in korea against them they were doing naval tactics against each other there was definitely chinese and japanese samurai fighting and they not only that but i've recently been trying to discover the oldest japanese swordsmanship that is identifiable now what i mean by that is it's somebody explains you put your left foot forward you know you hold your sword up you know it's actually there and the oldest japanese samurai sort of swordsmanship comes from a chinese manual so a chinese guy had studied japanese katana under a japanese man and was teaching it in late 1500s early 1600s china so it definitely was a crossover at some point in fact quite a big crossover ah and i guess well this leads me into we know one of the things that fascinates me about the shaolin was their adoption of chan buddhism like uh, sorry coming it looks like from india or something like that i can't remember exactly it was bodhidharma and then they're they're getting into that and now that i don't know i'm trying to see how i phrase this the bushido that's not the same i'm assuming as chan buddhism in the sense of being a philosophy or a religion did they have anything like that for the ninjas or the samurais did they have their own type of buddhism was a zen buddhism i think yeah exactly the same so chan is zen it's actually the same buddhism okay so while they're doing so in india Oh, I forgot the Indian name, but then it becomes Chan in China, doesn't it? And then it becomes Zen in Japan. And they absolutely did do Zen Buddhism for, in fact, Mm. one thing that most people don't realize is that Buddhism was in Japan before the samurai existed. So the entire samurai ethos is based on Buddhism and Shinto. I guess my, this is an opinion question for you, I think, Um, because I've been asking some Shaolin instructors you know, we haven't delved into the conversation yet. I was just starting off the conversation with them, so I don't have an answer yet, folks. But we'll get one soon. Um, to me, it's fascinating because you have Buddhism, a very peaceful religion, uh, teaches compassion and this and that. But they have to reconcile <laughs> these the samurai, the, the Shaolin monks have to reconcile this other part of it that they've used. And I get it. I, I understand how they're using it um, to defend themselves and self-preservation. But what's your take on that? Because it's, it's really an, an interesting way that they integrated these two concepts of violence, martial arts, and Zen Buddhism. Yeah, it's one of those mysteries of the world. Like Christianity is really peaceful until you put it into people and then they're really violent with it. <laughs> That's true, you? I guess. Like, Jesus, is, Jesus is like the Old Testament. You can be like, okay, it's a bit violent. The New Testament is like, right. Let's mm. be nice to everyone. Right, the Crusades happen, you know, <laughs> the That's Catholics, true. the Irish, you know, they're just murdering each other. So, again, you know, how did they get around that? Usually, and the Japanese did uh, what's called the life-giving sword and the death-giving sword. So, if you kill someone just out of brutality, you're a bad person and your karma is put onto you and you'll come back in a bad life. But if you save somebody or you save something and you kill somebody and it helps others, you've gone good karma and you get 
your positive can buy. The problem is, is then they say, well, those peasants have not paid their taxes and tax is good for the system and they're bad people. So let's murder everyone in the village and <laughs> we're doing a good job. So it gets a little bit twisted. Yeah, but yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> it's one of those things which is absolutely mind boggling because they all love being like, like Takeda Shingen is, is one of the most famous samurai ever. He was like the master of samurai and took over most, you know, a lot of Japan. And he was an absolute devout Buddhist, but murdered people left, right, and center. And how do you justify that in your brain? Yeah, it's interesting because I know I talk to my students sometimes. I I tell them about the difficulty of trying to define evil and explain it because it it becomes subjective sometimes. And the example I use, which always throws them off, and it's funny because they they literally answer the question. They can see the answer in front of them because I'll say, "Is it okay to ever be a serial killer?" Yeah, and they all look at me and oh, oh. no, no, no. And then I said, "Well, what about the serial killers? There's a couple of them that only targeted pedophiles, people who molested mm. children. Is that okay?" Well, yeah, well, that's all. That's not. It. It's like, oh, <laughs> now all of a sudden, what was evil has been rationalized yeah. away because it's fighting, I guess, a worse or not a worse. That's what yeah. terrible English. Something that's more evil. And yep. um, and I think one of the things I was reading about the Shaolin monks, that's kind of one of the ways, at least according to this book, was how they viewed it. If you were reducing a certain level of suffering by causing other yep. suffering, then it was okay. And it's, it's a fascinating way of human. I consider thinking. that, though. I do because if you read a lot of the samurai literature, the way of the warrior is the lower path. And it's always said the way mm. of arms is the lesser path. Because the way of like the sage is to like the Taoism and everything is to just go with it. And, and the universe will present its things in the correct manner. But humans can't let go like that. We just can't let go. And it's like, you know, I once saw bizarrely a video on executions. My sister enjoyed like real life deaths. So I watched these executions and it does actually say the samurai said one of their training techniques is to watch executions because you've got to get like a strong stomach. And I'm not a fan of it, but I saw some uh, Chinese executing some um, some uh, Tibetan monks and they were shooting them in the back of the head and all the Tibetan monks stood there and one of them, just one of them, slightly twitched his head and you could tell he was like a bit, you know, not, not ready for it and he got shot and I thought that guy's not quite on the path. The other monks just stood absolutely still and waited but it showed in that final second, that few centimetres he moved was like, he's not at ease there to being shot and that's the, that's the actual crux of it. The way of Buddhism, the way of Taoism is you just let them shoot you because the universe will take care of them. You're reincarnated. It's not a problem. In fact, not only that, you have to then say, surely that's my karma that I've been shot. So I got asked a really, really difficult question once. And am I allowed to am I allowed to be a bit controversial? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And it was from a black man. I was in Japan. I was talking to a friend of mine who was black and he said he said, um, if karma is from everybody's karma is their own problem, does that mean all the racism against all black people is their own fault? And I said, yes, according to karma, it's your fault. But it's not your fault because you're black. It's when in the past you were like a white man or a Chinese man or a girl or a, an assassin. You've done something wrong in your past that has created that discomfort in your future. But you weren't always black. That was, and, and he just couldn't get it. You know, he was not having it, you know. Yeah. But that's where you have to believe in it. If you believe in it, you have to believe fully. And that's what they say. The path of the master is higher than the path of the warrior. Because the master lets go of all weapons and lets go of death. And you let go of life and death. But no one, have you ever seen anyone do that? Even that Buddhist monk was struggling at the end, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, when it comes to testing time, that's a tough part. That's a tough yeah. point right there. It's so, so what I was going to say, so that's why we all manipulate the words to allow us to live. You would kill everyone. It's all right. Well, it's all right because I'll rationalize it like the serial killer and the this and that. Yeah. That's where you've got to transcend to the next bit. But you have to be a, a Buddha or a Jesus for that. Yeah, and it's interesting too. And I don't want to overgeneralize. I'm not saying you are, but I, I also don't want to overgeneralize for people out there because some people are just bad and they say they oh, follow, yeah, evil. And they follow yeah. Buddhism, but they may not. They're just under <laughs> the mask of it. And others are better. Oh. Like the Ip Man series was good about that because he always tried to slow it down. Not get it. You can't see my hands, but they try to slow it down and not get into fights. Um, and he yeah. always said, you know, just leave. Let's, let's let this die and let's forget about it. And I thought that was kind of cool. 
same thing with the Kung Fu show, actually. As I watched it again over the week, it was interesting to see the, the moral values there because a lot of it was, no, 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 you don't need to fight. Just let it go. <laughs> I apologize. He apologized several times where I'm thinking, I don't know how many people would have apologized for that. Because <laughs> yeah. he did nothing wrong, but he said, you know what? If it's going to save this, I'm sorry, let it go. And I thought that's a good lesson for a lot of people in today's world with road rage and things of that nature. I don't know how that is, yeah. how prevalent that is in the UK, but over here, unfortunately, it is. And uh, people would just let it go, man. There's a lot more dads yeah. and sons would be around. Yeah, absolutely. That it's the same. The samurai do exactly the same. They say, you know, 99% of the time you don't don't go into action. But the difference between courage and cowardice is 99% of the time is just like, let it go. Yeah, we apologize. Sorry, you know, no problem, mm. etc. Um, not a problem. But then that one time, if you don't do anything because you're being a bit like, oh, I better not, or oh, my life might be like, no, that you're a coward. If there's a moment where you should do it do it if there's a moment where you think no we can resolve this without that that's a good point let me ask you this um perfect segue into bushido what is yep. the bushido code i'll give you a story really quickly before we go on um the reason i'm giving it to you because i think a lot of times people are haven't heard it and i've heard i was surprised when i did hear it but there have been several law enforcement people that i've interviewed i've interviewed hundreds over the years but there's been about a dozen that were martial artists that adhered to the Bushido code yep, and encountered a perpetrator who was violent. None of them that I know of committed murder, but they were either assault. They were there because of an assault, domestic, but whatever it was, uh, alcohol. And I'm not kidding you. Every one of those guys that encountered that when they realized that the perpetrator had a martial art background, told them you're not following the Bushido code. Do you even know that? And every single one, I'm not even making it up, folks. So if they're making it up, it's a different story. But I, this is what they told yeah. me. Every single one of the perpetrators said, oh, shoot. You know yeah. what? I, you're right. And every single one turned around or gave up, didn't even bother with uh, trying to fight the officer or and just immediately became ashamed. And I thought, wow, that's <laughs> that's pretty darn powerful that they're doing that. But I guess my question to you is leads me into what is Bushido code? Tell us a little bit about that. So let's start with the word first. So, and you're right with those martial artists, that, that is the same. You just got to go in and say, you're not following Bushido and they, that will strike a heart chord in the base because hmm. they've been priding themselves on being warriors. And now they're like, Oh my God, you yeah. You know, you've hit me in where it hurts, you know? So, the word samurai actually means to serve. A lot of people know that it means serve. But originally, back in the old days, you have two different people. You have the samurai who were non-violent, non-military. They were servants. And then you had the bushi, which were uh, warriors. And eventually, they amalgamated as one social class, and it became the warriors who serve. So they interchanged the word bushi and samurai. And they almost mean the same after a certain time. So bushi, do, means the, the way because the same Do is from the Taoist Do, you know, Taoism. Oh, yeah, the way. So it's Bushi Do. So the Taoism of Bushi is what it is. So it means the way you should follow. Because if you don't know, the ideogram for Taoism means path. And it's okay. a path that you should follow. So Bushido is a path that you should follow. And it's a set of rules that you should guide be guided by. But this is where it gets a bit problematic, is that set of guidelines was not, written down in any form until the year 1900 so and uh, the year 1900 <laughs> Gee, yeah. How, however so it, this has led to a, a, a people have been split down the middle on this they say bushido never existed well it does we know it does but it it, it needs defining so there's a guy called i forgot, I forgot his name to be honest i've even wrote um nitobe and he wrote he was at dinner and he was at dinner and he was speaking English. He was an ex-samurai. He was brought up as a samurai and somebody at the dinner table in some, you know, I think he was with the, you know, a really high academic university in America. And they said, how is it you Japanese don't have any Christianity or anything, but you're really good. And he said, well, Bushido. And the guy said, well, what is it? So he wrote a book and the president of the United States even promoted it. He said, it's amazing. So he wrote the book Bushido. The, the soul of Japan. And it was a bestseller in America in the early 1900s. It was used in World War II to sort of like say, you've got to be Bushido. But when you go beyond that, so everybody, all those people that the, the police arrested will have read that single book. And oh, they wow. followed that 
book because it's an international bestseller. Everybody's got a copy when you do martial arts at Bushido. But I, the reason I did the book of Bushido, which is different, by the way, is I decided to analyze what the samurai really thought Bushido was. And the word only starts popping up in the period of peace. It does exist quite early on, but it starts popping up in the period of peace. And when they've got no wars to go to, they start to describe, well, what, how should we behave? You know, we can't just go around killing people anymore. I can't invite China anymore. What are we going to do? So they start improving their Confucianism. So Confucianism is set up by the government to make them say, hey, because if you think about it, Confucianism says, you've got your place in society, don't change. So instead of Zen Buddhism, they focus on Confucianism and then they say, well, what about this Bushido? Let's create. So over two or three hundred years, this code of the warrior, which so then people say, what is it? And the simple answer to that is there's no single code. It basically means acting correctly at the right time. Now, that might mean. Um, so, for example, there's one samurai. His master is they're exchanging camps they're exchanging hostages. And they exchange an, uh, someone's mother. So the person comes across and they send his mother as a um, you know hostage to make sure nothing happens. They literally cover her the building that she's in in flammable material and are ready to burn it if their master is killed. They'll burn this woman alive, and that that for them is bushido because they said we will follow him and you know make sure and then we'll come and kill you. But at the same time, it's like we better not overkill people because we're going to, you know, that's a bad thing to do. So they tried to rationalize violence, basically. Let's rationalize. When can you use violence? When can you not use violence? And that comes back to the life sword and death sword. That makes sense. Because I don't know when I was looking, doing my own research, trying to find the Bushido, there wasn't anything that he found. It was just kind of hodgepodge of things. And the Internet's yeah. so difficult anyway. I have last three questions here. Hopefully some of these will be quick. Um, Anthony Cummins, again, folks, the book, uh, he's got a lot of books, the book of the ninja, the book of Bushido, um, ninja skills, the authentic ninja, one of my favorites, the ultimate art of war. And I guess this one's going to piggyback off this comment you just made about the Bushido code. This is something I always talk with situational awareness experts about and special forces and law enforcement. There's a challenge in the U.S. right now and well, there's a lot of challenges, but one of them is being a good Samaritan seems to be difficult. Um, it's yeah. a challenging moment because you see somebody getting assaulted. There was a there was several stories. One of them that always stands out to me was the, the guy who saw somebody beating on a woman. He went to help her. Um, the guy finally stopped, ended up walking away. The other guy, the, the guy who stopped him, started to follow the perpetrator to make sure he didn't get too far. The perpetrator turned around, shot and killed him. So now yep. here's a dad that got killed. A wife loses her husband, a daughter loses her dad. Um, and the question becomes, when should we jump in? You know, what, and that's a difficult question. I'm not expecting you to answer that. But my question would be, what do you think the Samurai's Code would have done with that? Would they have jumped well, in? Yes, absolutely. So that's that moment where, would you stand by and let any lady be beat up by a man just because you were feared for yourself? And the answer, a Samurai answer is absolutely not. You get in there and you they'd brutally murder him. They would be absolutely well. To be fair, in samurai times, if somebody was beating his wife, nobody'd care because you know it's a bit like you know, you know, fear. Yeah. But there is a point where, so there's a lot of family honor there. If there's a slight against the family, or if it's an elderly person, killed, like, yeah, a, their son is killed, or their dad has been killed, or the, the the blood feuds they had then were. That's why they had such a strict society. So they had something where they used a middleman all the time. So any type of something that might become heated they would sit in their own houses and send a middleman and that gave everybody time to relax and calm down before you know even if the answer was really bad it was it wouldn't just suddenly start drawing swords and when a samurai draws his blade he really they, their society doesn't let them put it back that's like no we have to fight now so they said once you draw it's too difficult nobody wants to be the one who gives up so you end up with lads killing themselves, you know, like, and there was like, some of these guys are 16, 17, but absolutely. That's that point where it says, is there a moment where you should, even if you die yourself. So that man who did that, did the right thing according to Bushido. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. And his family other... oh, in Japan boy. would have been proud of that. The Japanese family would have said, yes, that was the correct thing to do. He is not mm -hmm. a coward. He goes down in our family history as a brave warrior. Excellent. Interesting folks. Um, I guess my my second to last question would be Miyamoto Musashi. 
He's famous yep. <laughs> and everybody's he's all over the place on Instagram, all these memes and stuff about him. Um, I can't remember. Was he a Ronin? I don't even know if he was a Ronin. He was a Ronin, yes, okay. but he does get hired. And the word Ronin, though, is problematic, just so you're aware. I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> Every word No, so no, no, far. in the sense that um, oh. Ronin, basically, means masterless samurai. And everything's, oh, the masterless samurai, they all commit suicide. That's not true. Basically, it was a, it was just you were unemployed. So there was a point in samurai history where so many samurai were employed, but they go to each war and they'd get employed for the season. And then the Ronin, it means wave people, people who move on the wave. Oh, that makes sense. So, so the idea if, of this wait, one. I was going to say, what, the, what, what about Musashi? I mean, anything there that you know? I mean, is he a legend as well? Is it, or No, is Musashi he... is absolutely correct. His Book of Five Rings is absolutely oh, correct. He seems to have been an exceptional swordsmanship. Um, he has defeated, not killed, but defeated 60 people. Um, and many people think he killed them or he didn't. But absolutely, he's considered, and, he, and it wasn't one of them where it was um, put up afterwards. In his own lifetime, he was famous. Okay, that's good so, to know. You're and scaring he, me for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what I mean by the Ronin is everybody says, oh, Ronin. But actually, lots of samurai were Ronin. But he did get hired to, you know, be... The problem comes, it's a political problem. There was a moment where you weren't allowed to hire any more men because hiring samurai was literally enlarging your forces. And there was a block, there was a stop mm. saying, you know, it's like saying Germany, you can't have any more battleships. So they said, you can't have any more samurai. So we get this Ronin problem where the Ronin who are not hired have nothing to do. And they end up being violent gangs and killing people and all this. You're really bad, you know. So they had to get rid of the Ronin problem and, you know, integrate them into society. Because the wars had stopped. There was nowhere for them to go. Wow. You know? So, yeah, Musashi really wanted his position as a samurai. He wanted a high position, but it's not. So what they end up doing is they end up becoming martial arts teachers and getting money that way. So what you see is the right after the wars are finished, you see the rise of dojo culture. It's like, let's just create training halls. Let's teach people. And, you know, and he was really, really good at it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I guess we're down to our last few minutes and the question of the hour. <laughs> Do you have a favorite movie? I mean, I'm thinking in the top of my head here, there's Samurai with Tom Cruise. Everybody likes that movie, whether it's accurate or not. Again, we're back to that situation again. What is your take on the Samurai movie with Tom Cruise and is your sense of accuracy or just pure entertainment? I, I, I want to give this, I want to give you two answers here. <laughs> First of all, I hate that film simply oh. because I hate it. Because they did. Do you remember? Did you watch Kingdom of Heaven? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, brilliant film on the Crusades. Gladiator, amazing film about you know period dramas. And they did that one and they had the best opportunity, but it was one of the flattest films I've ever watched. It was, they made a really bad decision by making it in the 1800s because it was a boring section of Japanese society. So, you know, of that, you know, it was like the modern war. Basically, modern guns kill samurai. Yeah, we know that. Actually, the samurai were using modern guns. This idea, it was, it was totally the other way around. <laughs> they, oh, really? they, they got their hands on the. Imagine a military not getting the best equipment. Imagine them saying, no, I don't want that. You know, you know how it's fire, firing away. They're like, we want one of them. <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> that was oversimplified. But everybody, everybody says, oh, do you like Tom Cruise's Last Samurai? <laughs> no. <laughs> Every time I go and see my cousin, he's like, do you want to watch Last Samurai? Shut up, Andrew. So what a, oh, go ahead. my favorite, I, people ask me, what is my favorite ninja film? And I, I'm going to surprise you, hopefully, here and say it is either Blood and Bone by Michael J. White, is it? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, jeez, <laughs> I can't remember that or, movie really well, but yeah, yet yeah, that one or um, Law Abiding Citizen with Gerard Butler. Oh, wow, they are the best ninja films they've ever been made. There's no ninja in them, but that is how a ninja is. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm so, trying to think how you connected those. Okay, because Law Abiding Citizen, right? He's uh, somebody kills his wife, so he goes on a quest of vengeance using his mind, um, the tricks, gadgets psychology and everything to get this guy and kill him after he's been in prison for years and it is brutal and he gets him brutally and he's ex like cia or something so he knows all the spying gadgets and everything and that's what he does whereas blood and bone i think where michael j white i think his name is that again is he has to get revenge or he has to find out and he infiltrates the people he infiltrates the gang he's hard as nails he's a war sort of veteran they are perfect ninja films wow all right 
And I guess I'm assuming the TV shows or the movies like Michael Dudikoff's Ninja was probably an embarrassment to you as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they fun. Okay, so my favorite crap ninja film is actually Sakura <laughs> Killers. Do you know Sakura Killers? No, never heard of that one. Yeah, it's 1984, I think. They've got the red ninja and the green ninja. And they, oh, it's so good. I love it. It's terrible, but it's so good. And there was something called Ninja Apocalypse, which you can't really get hold of anymore. But it was one of the best. It's like made in Taiwan. It's a female ninja. It's dubbed in English. And she does the same poison on a shuriken and, you know, like, you know, on the side. So she flies on a kite and everything. I thought it was wonderful. But the best samurai film is probably Throne of Blood by Akira Kurosawa. It's actually a retelling mm. of uh, William Shakespeare's um, Macbeth and okay. Throne of Blood. Do you know Akira Kurosawa? Mm. He's a, one up. of the most famous Japanese directors, and he basically did about five or six samurai films, which are considered perfect films. Uh, his famous one. number one is Seven Samurai. So, you know, uh, Magnificent Seven. Oh, Toshiro Mufun. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Akira Kurosawa. So Magnificent Seven is totally based, in, in fact, totally ripped off of Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I yep. remember that. It was the Western version of it. And that is why Clint Eastwood has a straw in his mouth when he's in the films, because the Americans were ripping off the Japanese at the time, and all the Japanese Ronin films, because Ronin were hungry, they had no job, but they didn't want to look like that. They put toothpicks in their mouths and hung them to say, I've just eaten, even though they were starving. And Clint Eastwood has done the same based on that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, I, want, I listened to a really, not boring, it was interesting, but a little obscure podcast once where it was like the Japanese cinema and American cinema in the 50s and 60s, how they were nicking off each other. Oh, really? Yeah. It was pretty good, actually. I remember that Toshiro. I think I saw the, the original Seven Samurai. Yeah. So that so was Throne of accurate. Blood is the same one. Yeah. Or his throw, even though it's got supernatural stuff, in, it is, you know, dark, brutal. You know, less of the sort of like Tom Cruise on a bound, you know, stuff. The Throne of Blood. Okay, I want to put that down there. It's a 1957 movie too. Yeah. Okay, it's an older flick. All right, I'll definitely catch that one. <clears throat> I can't. Uh, I know we're, we're out of time. Actually, I'm out of questions anyway. Uh, yep. I think you answered everything. You covered Mifune, which was on our last question. <laughs> And Miyamoto. Again, folks, it's Anthony Cummins, A-N-T-O-N-Y-C-U-M-M-I-N-S, The Book of Bushido. If you're interested in reading that, The Book of Ninja, Ninja Skills, The Ultimate Art of War, The Ultimate I Ching, uh, The Ultimate Guide to Yin Yang. A lot of great books. A, a lot of things are going to surprise you when you read. Also, right, I would, Samurai. Go ahead. If you don't mind me saying, I would say that probably if you want to start off with one of my books, hmm. your best thing is how to be a modern samurai. Okay. There's a that is probably the best book to start off with. It's the easiest gets you in there. How to be a modern samurai, 10 steps to finding your power and achieving success. All right. So we'll definitely recommend. There's a lot of books. How many have you written? Like a dozen or two? No, 20. 20? Wow. 20 books. Jeez. I write two a year on average, and I've been doing it for 10 years. Two a year? Yeah. Yeah. I do it full time, sat here, bang, 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 research, research, research. Well, then I'm really honored you did the podcast. That takes a lot of work, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much again, Anthony, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, we took a journey to find out about the ninja and the samurai and some interesting discoveries and twists. I hope you enjoyed the show. You know what to do. Share, subscribe, and hit that like button, everyone. And follow the Bushido Code. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.